1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Another day, another round of new records for the markets, but futures they're pulling back this morning. New developments in the fight against COVID, with the federal government poised to recommend booster shots for most Americans. President Biden defending his decision to pull American forces out of Afghanistan amid the growing crisis there. We are live overseas with the latest. Digging in to the Oracle of Omaha's latest money moves as Warren Buffett ups his stakes in one grocer and a relatively new bet as well. And one year after an op-ed headline that divided the Big Apple, a look at whether New York City is dead, just getting started with its pandemic bounce back. It's Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. And here's how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Stock futures right now are poised to show an indicated lower open. The Dow Jones implied lower by roughly 150 points, the S&P by about 19 points, and the Nasdaq implied lower by about 53. Now, The Dow and the S&P, though, did post their fifth straight positive session yesterday, clawing back earlier losses to post both fresh intraday and closing all-time highs for those indices. The S&P 500's move, by the way, was notable because since the index now has doubled, you can see there, pretty much since those pandemic lows that we saw back on March 23rd of last year. That marks the fastest bull market doubling since World War II, so a big move there higher for the markets since the pandemic lows. Let's get a closer look at treasuries right now. The benchmark 10-year note yield currently trading just a little bit lower, About 1.22% or 122 basis points. The two-year Treasury note yields about 20 basis points or 0.2%. So keep an eye on those particular markets. Yields are falling right now, indicating bond prices are bid. Also want to get a look at cryptocurrencies amid their latest bounce back. Bitcoin prices right now currently up about one-half of 1% on a 46,000 handle. 46,392 the last trade there. Ethereum up about a half of 1% as well. 3,191 the last trade for Ethereum. Let's now go worldwide. In Asia, markets ending lower with Chinese technology stocks falling as regulatory fears resurface. We'll have a little bit more on that coming up later on in the show. And then taking a look at the early trade in Europe right now. You can see there a little bit of a mixed picture. The German DAX and the CAC in France both off about one third of one percent. The FTSE 100 in the UK just about flat on the day and about three quarter percent declines for the IBEX 35 in Spain and the FTSE MIB in Italy as well. Back here in the United States, Boston Federal Reserve President Eric Rosengren becoming the latest central bank chief to offer his timeline on when he'd like to see the Fed start rolling back its easy monetary policy. In a first on CNBC interview yesterday, Rosengren suggested an October or November start to that tapering, suggesting the Fed's asset purchases are having more diminished economic effects.
1: In terms of when the taper program would end, Uh, My own personal preference would be that we do equal amounts of reduction of both the mortgage-backed securities and treasury securities, and that we finish off the program mid-year next year. Uh, That just reflects the fact that if it's not being particularly effective, uh, there's no reason to drag it out as long as the economy continues to progress as we expect.
2: All right. For more, let's bring in Delano Sapporo, founder of New Street Advisors. He's also a CNBC contributor Delano, those comments from Boston Fed President Rosengren did echo some of the sentiment that other perhaps Fed presidents are feeling right now. Do you feel as though the markets are prepared when the Fed eventually decides to start tapering and cutting back its bond purchases?
0: Morning, Dom. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, I do think currently the market is prepared. I think a couple of the reasons why is there's clear communication. You're seeing different areas and different uh, leaders in the Fed speaking about, you know, the timeline at which they would think it would be appropriate uh, to kind of pull back uh, and, and and ease some of these monetary policies. And so I think the, as long as the market has a clear kind of indication, it's not some of that a sticker shock uh, uh, kind of thing that happens here, I think that the market will act appropriately. I think if you're cutting back on either the $120 billion a month, uh, uh, at some point, if it's, you know, later on in the year or in 2022, if the market has that clear communication, which has been a, a thing that the Fed has been great at throughout, you know, as you saw from the March 23rd lows through to 23rd lows of 2020 to now, then I think the market could could kind of act accordingly. And we'd probably see, um, you know, we're at a situation where we could still march higher in the effect of, of any tapering.
2: Delano, we just showed the chart. We're showing it still right now since the pandemic lows, the Dow and the S&P 500. I mean, essentially, we've doubled pretty much right since since the pandemic lows for the S&P 500 for sure. Is there is there a case to be made right now that the Fed is actually acting appropriately? The markets are doing pretty well. They are forward looking. They're predicting things are going to be okay in the future. The economy seems to be holding up. Everything seems to be lining up for a market that is justified at these levels. Or is it not?
0: Yeah, great question, Dom. I think at these levels, everything seems to be but I think we're now seeing a little bit of of the market trying to understand how the rate of the rate that we're going to slow down. Whether it's you know you saw the retail data of China, you're going to get the print for for retail data here in the U.S. But I think really the market's trying to assess can we go further from here? And I think a lot of that is why we're seeing a little bit of trudging along in the early morning trading. Yesterday, we saw only utilities were the only thing above water, uh, only sector above water. But I, I think we could justify these levels. And now to go further, another catalyst further, we have to see a little bit more. The market needs to see stronger growth data. We need to see earnings in th- quarter three. We're seeing companies buy back. So there seems to be implication that you know management uh, of companies are seeing some strong things within the, their, their equity. So I do think right now that's why we're seeing kind of a flat line level of, of what the market's been trading at uh, over the past week or so.
2: What do you think is the leadership? I mean, what happens now since the pandemic lows? We've talked about hotels doing well and airlines doing well and energy doing well. And are, are those the same places that we can expect to see that future leadership? I, I ask only because everyone likes to make a big deal of the fact that the markets at these high levels have been broadening out in terms of leadership. It isn't just Amazon and Microsoft yeah. and Apple that are leading the way higher.
0: That's a great question. I do think, you know, there's kind of the Tom Lee was talking about the everything rally. I think once we get past some of these, you know, headwinds um, in the near term, I do think there'll probably be an everything rally because at that situation, you're looking at macro a level, you're looking at a situation where there's not very many catalysts to pull back uh, the market and, and justify a correction. Now, there are areas of the market, like you mentioned, sectors that you probably want to look for reasonable growth. And those are more if you drill down to different companies, right? And, and I think if you're looking at some companies that are trading at reasonable levels, uh, especially for growth companies on the revenue basis, top line uh, valuation basis, then you might see some areas where sectors that are performing strong. I know you, you pointed out uh, cryptocurrency pullback or, excuse me, comeback, uptrend, recent I think that's another area where, especially for my clients, they're starting to look for more yield. So I think there's going to be different areas, but I do believe there'll be more breadth if we get past some of these headwinds um, in the near term.
2: All right. Delano Saporu, thank you very much for the thoughts. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Don. Now to the latest on the rapidly developing situation in Afghanistan. President Biden defending his administration's decision to continue with the U.S. military drawdown and withdrawal in Afghanistan amid continued criticism from both sides of the aisle. The president blaming the U.S.-backed Afghan government and military for allowing the Taliban to take over, admitting the group did so faster than his officials had expected. Dan Murphy joins us now from Abu Dhabi in the Middle East with the latest there. Good morning, Dan.
3: Good morning, Don. President Biden continuing to fight that domestic fallout in the United States. But in the meantime, in Kabul, we continue to see evacuations at the airport and, of course, the Taliban remaining firmly in control of Afghanistan. In the past few hours, we've been following reports of karma scenes on the ground at the airport. But, of course, Afghanistan's future still very much hangs in the balance here. Reports suggesting that Taliban fighters on the streets ...of Kabul have essentially been asking Afghan citizens and anyone wearing a uniform to hand over all of their weapons. They've also taken over army posts and police stations now as well. Of course, a lot to unpack here, but we also know that when it comes to the process of forming a new governing body in Afghanistan, it's reported that these militants are seeking a peaceful transfer of power in Afghanistan in the next few days... And talks are now reportedly underway to bring about a non-Taliban leader and uh, a a coalition when it comes to forming a a potential new government. That would be uh, non-Taliban leaders, I should say. Now, what this looks like really remains to be seen. Still not much clarity on what this new government is going to look like. At the same time, we don't know who's going to be backing them economically and who is going to fill this power vacuum that's been left behind in America's departure? Will it be China? Will it be Russia? Will it be another foreign actor? All of those questions still aren't answered. At the same time, we're also hearing that the UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has been asking to convene G7 leaders for a virtual meeting to discuss Afghanistan at the earliest opportunity. And, of course, in the United States as well, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, speaking with EU and NATO counterparts on the situation there, hoping to avoid what is now a very fast-moving and quickly developing humanitarian crisis on the ground, with Afghans still seeking to get out of the country in the wake of the U.S. withdrawal, Don.
2: Dan, uh, I, I, I'd like to call your attention to that, that, that last point that you made right now. We've seen a lot of photos and videos, specifically at Kabul Airport, elsewhere in, in, in Kabul itself, where there have been floods of people trying to leave the country right now. They're jamming airports we, we, we've seen that the U.S. has now taken control of the airport. They're trying to clear the runways out. What exactly is the indication for how this resolves itself with regard to the humanitarian crisis that is developing? Are those people that are trying to get out, will they find a way out? And what exactly where, where do refugees go if they can go anywhere?
3: Dom, it's a great point. And look, remember as well, Kabul airport is separated on two sides, one side run by the Americans, where we're seeing diplomats and uh, important personnel being evacuated using US military assets. That was the scene that we saw yesterday with that US Air Force plane uh, being surrounded by Afghans essentially running alongside, holding onto the fuselage, uh, climbing onto aero bridges and other equipment, attempting to get a flight out because it's their last option now. Uh, we also understand that the Taliban have set up checkpoints, in fact, leading into that airport on the other side, which is the civilian side uh, of the uh, airport. Where they go, that really depends on what plane they're able to get on. If they're able to get on a plane at all, of course, civilian flights have been cancelled. But we know the international community has been coming together to assist Afghan refugees. Uh, but of course, still, that crisis fast moving on the ground and many questions unanswered about what happens next for these incredibly vulnerable people.
2: And Dan, to your other point there, one of the top headlines on CNBC.com right now is that China may align itself with Taliban and try to exploit Afghanistan's rare earth metals, analysts warn. So a very complex situation for sure. Thank you very much for bringing us the latest there. Have a good day, sir. Let's get a look at some of your other top stories this morning as well. Frank Holland is here with those. Good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Dom.
1: Federal health officials
2: and medical experts are expected
1: to recommend that most Americans who are eligible, eligible to get COVID are eligible to get COVID vaccine booster shots. NBC News has learned that an official announcement on that matter could come as soon as this week. Officials are expected to recommend the boosters eight months after Americans receive the second dose of their initial shots. The guidance, which would apply only to the two-shot Pfizer and Moderna treatments, could go into effect as early as the middle of next month. Sticking with the pandemic. MGM Resorts is set to become the latest major company to require COVID vaccines for its employees. The company says starting at the end of this month, it will require all new hires and current salaried employees in the U.S. to be vaccinated. MGM's new policy won't impact currently employed hourly workers, but it says it is looking at ways to expand its new vaccine requirement. And Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway taking bigger stakes in Kroger and Aon during the second quarter. New 13F filings showing the conglomerate added another $1 billion to its relatively new bet on Aon, the company buying up another $2.3 billion worth of Kroger shares as well. Meanwhile, Berkshire slashing its stake in General Motors by 10% to 60 million shares during the
2: period. That's the latest. Dom, back over to you. have more on that with leslie picker later on the show frank holland thank you for those headlines when we come back your your morning's big money movers including shares of roblox taking a dive following its quarterly results they're off about six and a quarter percent pre-market a similar story for shares of chinese technology companies under pressure again on new regulatory fears you can see there a whole slate of those things going down We'll go live to China for the very latest there and a big morning for retail earnings with Walmart and Home Depot results coming up on deck. We preview what to expect. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number
2: Welcome back to the show. Time now for your big money movers for stock stories of the morning. First up, BHP, it plans to sell its oil and gas business to the Australian Woodside Petroleum Company in an all stock deal that will make Woodside one of the world's 10 largest producers of liquefied natural gas or LNG BHP says it will also end its dual listing in London. The announcement's coming as the world's biggest mining company reported its best annual profit in nearly a decade. Those shares up six and a quarter percent in British trading. Next up, you got Roblox. Shares are falling after the video game company posted a wider second quarter loss and bookings came in below forecasts. Roblox did see strong growth in daily active users as well as hours spent on the platform. That stock is still up more than 65 percent since its direct listing back in March. Stock number three is Oatly. It reported a bigger second quarter net loss on higher shipping costs as it spent heavily to ramp up its production. Oatly's adjusted loss was slightly better than analyst expectations. The company is forecasting at least a 64 percent surge in annual revenues as it benefits from rising demand for vegan milk alternatives at restaurants and coffee shops. Those shares down roughly one percent pre-market. And finally, 10 Cent Music. Second quarter profits did beat estimates. Paid subscribers jumping 41% to 66 million, boosted by a bigger music library after it signed licensing deals with several labels. The company says China's new copyright rules are unlikely to have a big impact on its online subscriptions. Those Tencent music shares down about 4% pre-market. Well, let's stick with that Chinese technology trade and those companies. Uh, shares are under pressure today as ch- after China's market regulator issued draft rules aimed at stopping unfair competition on the Internet. Arjun Karpal is live in Guangzhou, China, with the latest there on that story. Good morning or good evening, Arjun.
6: Uh, good morning to you, too, Don. Well, look, these rules span everything from data usage all the way through to fake product reviews. And I'll just pull out. Some of the key highlights here from these draft regulations. Uh, the Operators on the Internet are not allowed to use fake data, for example, to uh, fake the number of clicks a, a piece of content has got, for example. They're not allowed to conceal negative reviews and, and push some of the more positive reviews up front. They're also not allowed to use data and algorithms uh, to influence user choice according to these draft regulations. Now, the State Administration for Market Regulation is seeking public opinion until September 15th this, after which this uh, regulation is likely to come into effect. But what you're seeing here really is a continued tightening of rules, particularly around these practices that the government deems unfair. And this particular body, the SAMR, the State Administration for Market Regulation, has already released guidelines this year around anti-monopoly practices. And it's been pretty aggressive on some of the actions it's taken against the tech companies It fined Alibaba a $2.8 billion fine earlier this year in an antitrust probe It's now going after uh, Meituan, the food delivery giant here in China as well. And so what you're seeing is further regulatory action from uh, various regulators across the board in China, coming thick and fast, continuing to bring uncertainty for the outlook here on Chinese tech stocks. And that's why you're seeing names like Tencent and Alibaba lower in uh, trade in Hong Kong. Don, back to you.
2: Now, now, Arjun, if we take a look at this in the broader context of China's overall and I'll use the word crackdown because that's what it feels like right now, right? The government really wants to exert its authority over these companies. Is there any sense of what these companies are, lo- are looking to do to, to perhaps get out of that spotlight from these, from, from these regulators, or, or is this a battle that they are willing to fight because they think that somehow they can make some headway and actually negotiate with the government there?
6: I think one of the things you have seen, uh, particularly over the past month, is the technology companies almost trying to preempt what's happening with the government and what the government might want to do. And so you've seen, for example, a company like Tencent trying to bring in more safeguards around some of its games to protect under-18s and the amount of time they're playing these games and making sure they're not uh, breaking any of the current rules. And, you know, online gaming is certainly an area that the Chinese government is concerned about at this point in time. There's also some reports suggesting that Alibaba and Tencent are looking to change a couple of their business practices that could potentially fall foul of certain rules, uh, coming in, into effect as well. And you're seeing also a lot of these companies trying to tighten up their data protection another area the government is looking. So at this point, tech companies are really trying to think about what might be coming next and trying to preempt some of those
2: moves with their own uh, new policies, Dom. All right. Arjun Karpal in Guangzhou, China, with the latest there on the tech crackdown by the government. Thank you. Coming up on the show, a former advisor to Jeff Bezos saying so long to Amazon amid its push into the grocery business. Details on the high-profile departure there. Coming up next, we are back in just a moment.
7: Life is a highway, and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem.
5: Of a detour.
2: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis.
8: Hi, Dom. Good morning. A tropical storm Grace arrived in Haiti, complicating the earthquake recovery efforts. Grace brought torrential rain and strong winds, and now officials are pleading with people to help take in their displaced neighbors. Some of them are only sheltered under makeshift tents. The U.S. Coast Guard is helping transport patients to areas with better medical care. The powerful earthquake left more than 6,000 people injured and the death toll has climbed to more than 1,400. Intense heat continues to boil Western states as intense wildfires burn, ravaging more land by the hour. California's Dixie Fire is now the largest blaze on record in the U.S. and has already consumed nearly 600,000 acres. It's only 31% contained. And a new goalpost for the NFL. The Atlanta Falcons say they have become the first team to have every player vaccinated. Meantime, a second NFL team is implementing a vaccination mandate to attend games. The Las Vegas Raiders have announced all attendees at home games will have to show proof of COVID-19 vaccination. The guidelines go into effect week one when the Raiders take on the Ravens. The city of New Orleans announced a similar policy on Monday which will require fans to be vaccinated or test negative to attend Saints game. So another layer to this new landscape that's just kind of ever-changing in our world of COVID these days, Dom.
2: Always evolving, and it's hard to believe mm-hmm. the NFL season is just around the corner. And Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those headlines. We're still on deck for the show, the Biden administration digging in amid its fight over oil and gas drilling in this country, the latest legal move by the White House. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. We will be right back after this. Stocks looking at a pullback after the Dow and the S&P once again notched new record highs. Futures are pointing to losses at the opening bell. Investors gearing up for the big week of retail earnings with Walmart and Home Depot set to kick things off. UBS's Michael Lasser lays out what to watch in those results. And is the Big Apple back one year after the infamous op-ed claiming New York City was dead? A look at where life in the city really stands right now. It is Tuesday, August 17th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chiu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here's how your investments and money are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern Time Hour. Stock futures, as I said, are pointing towards some losses at the opening bell, with the Dow currently implied lower by 126 points, the S&P by about 15 points, and the Nasdaq down by just about 46 to 47 points. Now, the S&P and Dow, though, did post their fifth straight positive session yesterday, clawing back earlier losses to post both of them, by the way, fresh intraday and closing all-time highs. Also want to take a look at some of the stocks found in Goldman Sachs' buyback portfolio, which has been crushing the market these days. The firm's basket includes 50 sector neutral stocks that together have outpaced the S&P 500 on a year-to-day basis. Some of those names include things like Alphabet, Etsy, JM Smucker, just to name a few, Synchrony Financial, Anthem as well, Kansas City Southern, Intel, Sherwin-Williams, Dominion Energy, you get it. Now, buyback stocks tend to outperform in the late summer with the increase in buyback executions that actually follow companies' second quarter earnings reports. So, some of the names to watch there, and you, by the way, you can read more about that portfolio at Goldman Sachs over at CNBC.com slash pro. Check it out. Subscribers there will get the full story. Let's now go worldwide. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the early action in Europe. Good morning, Juliana.
9: Hey, Dom. So the early action in Europe has been a little bit choppy. Right now, the stock 600 is hovering around the flat line. We were trading lower, though, at the start of the session, and positive momentum has since been building. So currently, the stock 600 down just about 0.06 percent. And to put this into context, yesterday, we saw the stock 600 lose ground, it breaking a 10-day win streak. So it has been an incredibly strong run for the stock 600. But yesterday, its fortune did change slightly. Turning to the regional breakdown, this is what the split looks like. We've got red for the majority of markets still. The CAC 40 over in France down about four-tenths of a percent. The FTSE MIB in Italy and the the Spanish market are underperforming a little bit. The DAX also down about 0.2 percent. But we do have green on the board now. Swiss market up 15 basis points. And the FTSE 100 here in the UK outperforming up about 0.1 percent. And there's one stock in that basket that is leading the charge, and that is BHP. So let me take you to that. Stock Now, BHP shares up 6.5 percent. We were even higher earlier in the session. BHP has agreed to merge its oil and gas business with Woodside in an all stock deal. The world's biggest listed miner also reported its best annual profit in almost a decade. So that news is providing a strong boost to BHP and in turn, providing a boost to the FTSE 100. Dom, we'll hand it back over to you.
2: All right, Juliana Tatelbaum, thank you very much for that update. Uh, Let's get more on, on some of our top stories this morning with Frank Holland. He is back with those. Hi, Frank.
1: Hey, good morning again, Dom. The Biden administration is appealing a federal judge's decision to block its pause on oil and gas leasing on public lands. The Interior Department is looking to overturn the judge's ruling from June, siding with 13 states that said the administration bypassed bureaucratic steps required before such moratoriums could be rolled out. The White House will proceed with leasing during this appeals process. The block on the leases is seen as a critical piece of the administration's climate change policy. Spirit Airlines is putting a fresh price tag on its recent wave of flight disruptions that left thousands of customers stranded. The company says those interruptions will cost it about $50 million in revenue. Spirit says it's making, quote, tactical schedule reductions for the rest of the third quarter to soften the blow from staffing shortfalls that played a role in those flight disruptions. Shares are under pressure this morning. And Amazon has confirmed a top executive from its grocery unit is now leaving the company. Wei Gao, who recently served as the vice president of grocery tech product and supply chain, will leave on September 17th. Gao, who was only one of two female executives to be appointed as an advisor to former CEO Jeff Bezos, marks the latest exit amid Amazon's
2: leadership turnover. Dom, those are the latest headlines. Back over to you. All right, Frank, Holland, thank you very much for those. The big week for retail earnings is up, set to kick off shortly with the release of results from Walmart and Home Depot as well. Home building and home improvement is in focus for Home Depot, while e-commerce has been a very key point for Walmart stock. For more on what to expect with the results, let's bring in Michael Lasser, broadline and hardline retail analyst at UBS. Michael, I guess maybe the, the overarching question is, How are the expectations for these companies entering this earnings season?
7: Morning, Dom. Expectations have moved up for both of these retailers. The consumer spending environment has been fairly robust over the last few months. So that'll be key. Also, it'll be important to watch how both retailers have been navigating through a very challenging sourcing environment. There's been a lot of well-documented bottlenecks in trying to bring products over to this country from other markets. And then obviously uh, trying to find and retain talent has also been a challenge. So those will be some of the key areas of focus for these retailers with a report this morning.
2: So, so as you take a look at you mentioned a lot of those those key points here uh, for, for Home Depot, the, the, the focus has been on this notion that do it yourself and home improvement has been a massive tailwind along with stimulus checks over the course of the last year. How much are investors going to focus on this idea that as the pandemic starts to cool off, maybe then so do those trends in consumer spending at places like Home Depot and Lowe's?
7: It's critical. And what's going to happen is the consumer is going to redistribute his and her time. So we've been stuck at home for the last year and a half, had more time on our hands. We've allocated some of that time to do home improvement projects. As the pandemic goes into the next phase and we go back to work, our kids go back to school. That means we're going to have less time to do these home improvement projects. Now, with that being said, DIY represents about 55% of Home improvements of Home Depot's business. The other 45% is the pro-customer segment. That's an area of particular strength right now, due in part to what's happening in the housing market. A lack of inventory, a lack of uh, houses for sale has meant that consumers want to reinvest in their existing property, and that's driven strength in the pro market, which will probably be an area that uh, drives... Home Depot to be really strong
2: right now. So the contractor segment, a key focus there for sure for you and others as well. Let's turn our attention now to Walmart. We know that Walmart has been doing well. The the key focus has been on those e-commerce numbers. They have been staggering, to be fair. I mean, Walmart has been doing a lot to kind of boost its e-commerce presence, its omni-channel solutions. If you take a look at Walmart. Is there anything they can say right now that would maybe derail what's happening? Is the growth prospect still there for its e-commerce channels?
7: Well, a couple of things. One, I think we're going to actually see that there was a shift out of the e-commerce business back into its stores in the most recent segment. As consumers felt more comfortable heading back into public places, there was probably a channel shift that Walmart experienced. So it it speaks to the robust strength of its omni-channel presence, having both. Two, I, I think... Uh, the outlook here will be particularly important. We're going to uh, entering some really key times of the year, like the holidays and back to school, um, and having both strong stores as well as strong e-commerce present will we should bode well for for Walmart for the for the uh, outlook for the back half of the year.
2: All right, so so Michael, when it comes to Walmart, the the, the comparability is often made towards Target. We know that they're not the exact same company. But they are often talked about in the same breath. Target stock has nearly doubled over the course of the last year. Walmart's up roughly maybe 14, 15 percent. What exactly needs to happen at Walmart for them to catch up to what, the, what Target has been doing in terms of its overall performance? Walmart's much bigger, there's no doubt. But what can it do to catch the growth that, that Target has been getting?
7: Target's had a fast, fantastic run. That's due in part to its omni-channel strength, uh, both in-store and e-commerce. Also, some categories that Target's really levered to, like apparel and home, have doing have been doing extraordinarily well. I think in the case of Walmart, what it needs to do to catch up or for its stock to outperform, it's going to have some uh, critical drivers like uh, third-party marketplace, advertising that should drive Outsized gains in its profitability. What What Walmart needs to show is that it's getting traction in those areas, and that that will drive both its earnings higher
2: and its multiple to be quite uh, maintained at this at this level. All right. So two key reports there: Home Depot and Walmart. Michael Lasser, UBS. Thank you very much for your insights. Thanks, we so. appreciate it. Coming up on the show: The Big Apple, back from the brink of demise? Question mark. Robert Frank looks at where New York City stands one year after that infamous op-ed declared it dead. We are back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. What you're seeing there is a live shot of New York City, Midtown Manhattan, Times Square, We're in just about 18 minutes time. Our friends over at Squawk Box will help pick up the coverage for the markets in the morning and have some great conversations there. But why we want to show you that is because there is a little bit more activity now than there was during the virus pandemic, for sure. But today does mark the one year anniversary since that big headline that rattled the Big Apple and cities around the country in the midst of the pandemic. Quote unquote, New York is dead. Author and investor James Altucher's op-ed polarized those within and around the five boroughs of New York as to whether the city would actually be able to survive and bounce back from the COVID pandemic. Robert Frank joins us now with a closer look at where New York stands 365 days after that declaration. Robert, for the most part of the pandemic, I did not go into New York City, but I've been there a handful of times over the course of the last month. It sure doesn't seem like it's dead.
10: Not at all. You know, foot traffic is back. And let's go back to that incredible op-ed just a year ago. Seems like a long time ago. Altucher is saying that remote work, empty office buildings, boarded up restaurants and hotels, rising crime and high taxes would hollow out the city for years or even decades. People say New York City always bounces back, he wrote. Not this time. And then, of course, Jerry Seinfeld saying in in his famous response... New York sure as hell will be back. So, a year later, who was right? Well, residential real estate sales have more than doubled over the past year. Rentals are up more than 50%, and prices when it comes to residential real estate sales are almost back to pre-crisis levels, so that's good. Restaurant traffic a year ago was down 89% from pre-pandemic levels. Now it's down only around half. Of those pre-pandemic levels subway ridership is up but still about half what it was pre-pandemic so the residential side new york's recovery is well underway the problem and of course the engine of the new york economy is those office workers there was 47 million square feet of empty office space in midtown in the second quarter that is about a fifth of the total and rental rates for commercial real estate are down about 9% from a year ago. A year ago, only 12% of New York City workers were back in the office. Now it's about 25%. So that is an improvement, but still way down. And with the Delta variant, hopes for a post-Labor Day return are now, Dom,
2: postponed until October at the very least. Okay, so, so here's what I would say. I would say that, that my wife... Uh, We live in suburban Connecticut, and I commute here to New Jersey every day. My wife goes to Midtown Manhattan. The one thing that we've both noticed on the handful of times I've been commuting to the city versus what she does every day is that commuter trains are now once again packed. Now, a function of that is that they're not running as many trains, but it sure seems like a lot of people are coming in from the outlying suburbs and areas back in there. What do you think takes, I mean, I I I guess how long does it take for a lot of folks out there to get back into this kind of normal commute. We know a lot of companies have already pushed back their soft reopening plans until later on this fall or maybe even next year.
10: Well, October is going to be the month, or let's say it's mid-October, the day of reckoning. You know, we don't know how many offices will bring people back, how many days those people will be back, and how many workers will be remote, whether it's permanently, whether it's part-time, and therefore, how full those subways and commuter trains will be every single day. Remember, you know, remote work, hybrid work means that a lot of people have to fill those trains and subways for them to work economically every day. And not not to mention, let's talk about, you know, the square footage of commercial space. If companies only have workers back two or three days a week, do they need all that square footage that they, expensive square footage that they have in Midtown? And so, We won't know the answer to that, Dom, and just
2: how much more full those trains will be until October. All right, before we let you go, really quickly here, Robert, in your mind, in your opinion, you're our wealth editor here. Is New York City dead?
10: Not at all. It's never going to be dead. The question
2: is, at what price? But it's never going to be dead. All right, Robert Frank, thank you very much for that. New York City apparently is not dead. Well, coming up on deck for the show, Carrie Firestone lays out the stocks she's watching and what's shaping up to be a down day for the markets, at least for right now. But I'll say it started that way yesterday and ended up at record highs. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. The growing Delta COVID variant threat providing a new hurdle for fund managers looking to navigate a number of market headwinds seen so far this year. And quarterly 13F filings are shedding some light on the different strategies those managers took. Leslie Picker has been poring over all of those regulatory filings and the holdings. Joins <laughs> us now with those. Leslie.
4: Hey, Don, that's right. As the economy fully reopened during the second quarter, fund managers chose their own ways of trading the pandemic risks at the time. Take Tiger Global, for example, a well-known tech investor that has been buying privately into high-growth unicorns. The firm run by Chase Coleman revealed in its 13F yesterday that it was also putting billions of dollars to work in traditional stay-at-home names, names like Peloton, DoorDash, Shopify, and Zoom Video. CO2's filing implied bullishness on vaccines, boosting stakes in both Moderna and BioNTech. Others dove into some return-to-normal names, Melvin Capital using a mixture of shares and options, upstakes in travel names like Expedia and Hyatt, while also boosting holdings in Live Nation. And then other managers took to broad-based selling of long positions during the quarter, David Tepper's Appaloosa selling down some of its Alibaba, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, Micron, Occidental Petroleum, and T-Mobile. Berkshire Hathaway, too, which we'll discuss in more detail next hour on Squawkbox, Box, selling down some of its healthcare names, such as Merck, Bristol-Myers, Squibb, AbbVie, and Biogen. Now, all of these positions, as are the case with 13Fs, are as of the end of the most recent quarter, as of the end of June 30th. They may have changed in the six weeks since then, but... It's certainly been an enlightening quarter, so it's nice to see where people were positioned during that time. So,
2: so, so Leslie, I mean, yes, the, the usual caveats apply. This is a balance sheet look, and, and for many of these hedge funds, they kind of actively trade some of these positions, so you never really know. I, I get that, but have there been some themes that you can take away from this overall season besides some of the medical side of things? Have you seen some of those types of moves that that, that be, may, might become more, uh, I, I guess, larger scale or or, or more longer term in nature?
4: Well, I would highlight what we saw just in terms of the SPAC market. These are special purpose acquisition companies, huge run up back in the fourth quarter and the first quarter, tons of issuance, tons of deal making. And then in the second quarter, there was all this regulatory activity that really caused the whole security uh, just across the market to take kind of a pause just from every stage of the SPAC process. We really saw that take shape with regard to the 13F filings. A lot of hedge fund managers piled into this trade. It was seen as a great trade for institutional investors. um, You know, back when things were really hot in the fourth quarter and first quarter of this year, second quarter, we did see a lot of money taken off the table with regard to SPACs. A lot of fund managers that kind of bought just a swath of SPACs, you know, tiny positions here and there, um, larger positions in certain managers than others and then closing those positions during the quarter.
2: All right. So a lot of big themes there for whale watching, for sure. Thank you very much, Leslie Picker, for the update. Uh, back to the broader markets now. Inflation, Fed policy, COVID, nothing seems to get in the way of the stock market going higher for very long. The S&P has now doubled from the pandemic lows of last March. Now, that 100% rally is now the fastest bull market doubling off a of bottom since World War II. Let's bring in Carrie Firestone, chairman and CEO of Aureus Asset Management. She's also a CNBC contributor. You'll see her oftentimes with our colleagues on the halftime report. Carrie, has it surprised you a doubling since the market lows in March?
5: Hi, Dom. Well, actually, no, because those March lows were very low. I mean, the market went to seven times earnings. It was an unbelievable sell off, as we're aware, because we saw the approach of who knew what was going to happen. And remember, the market bottomed before many places had shut down. The market has been grinding higher, but up 100 percent at a point where there's now renewed anxiety. And you see that this steady march has come with a lot of turmoil underneath the surface over the past Month or so. You have one day where growth stocks are leading, the next day cyclicals are reopening, the next day you have the you know, really fast growing Arc Invest type companies. So there's struggle because of concerns about the Delta variant. Can the GDP grow at a level that can maintain this market and this is what investors right now are concerned about, which is why we see a day like today where the futures are off some and, and will open down.
2: Carrie, I, I love watching your segments because because you always have a shopping list, you're always scanning, it's the analyst in you that kind of always is looking for opportunities. What exactly then is on your shopping list these days with markets at record highs?
5: Sure. So we feel that you need to own high quality companies that will grow regardless of the environment. So thinking about inflation, in addition, they have to be those that can pass on cost increases or have a model that maintains their pricing. For example, American Express, Visa, PayPal, those companies take a percent of revenues. The economy is growing revenues are going up because of inflation to some extent and whether we're at home again for a while or reopening those are those are stocks to own waste connection has contracts with pricing built into them collecting waste there's more municipal waste because more businesses are open subscription models whether they're s p global netflix crm salesforce even microsoft they've got pricing nobody knows what they're paying for their outlook and that's the kind of business model we think in this environment works sherwin-williams they can raise price because housing demand has been so strong and paint is a very small percent of either a new home or renovations those are some ideas
2: so 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 carrie all right that that's the shopping list now i got to ask you if there's anything that's worrisome about what you're seeing in the market right now at record highs is underperformance in small caps and transportation stocks a reason to worry
5: Well, transportations, of course, you're suggesting lead the market. Um, That could be a worry. But I think it's more because they had a huge run because reopening. And now we're seeing some concerns because of the Delta variant. If we get more people vaccinated, which seems to be happening, we get a record high million vaccinations over the last six weeks on Saturday because people are concerned. That's good news. If we have an increased level of vaccination or more mandates, I think those transportation stocks will start to go higher. And I don't think that's what can drive the market lower.
2: All right, Carrie Firestone with the shopping list and her thoughts on the small caps. Thank you very much. We'll see you later on. That does it for for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is picking up the market coverage. Remember, the markets right now indicated lower by roughly 150 points for the Dow. We started off that way yesterday. But we finished at record highs. Squawk Box is coming up next.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.